We'll see if we like this better. It's a little echoey. I thought with these wood panels, it wouldn't be echoey. Who cares? Anyways, hey family, missed you guys. Uh, I'm excited to be here. This week has been, I will tell you, it has been tough for me reading uh, through chapter five. It's been very, very, very interesting. Um, it has been this like mind blowing every week, I'm every day rather I'm reading it. And it has just punched me in the gut, I think multiple, multiple times throughout this week uh, to the point where I almost kind of wanted to um, avoid reading it, not avoid reading it, but avoid engaging with it. I don't know, I'm sorry, I'm opening up things and doing other things, you should pay attention here. When I read it, it punched me so hard, I wanted to just dismiss it and move on to the next thing. I didn't want it to really resonate or really think about it because it became very overwhelming. It was just like boom, 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 one thing after the next. And so I didn't ever get discouraged and I didn't want to just give up. So those are the wrong words to say. I just didn't want to deal with it because with work and family and everything else else is going on, I just, to get into the nuances of it. Ooh. So I took some time to kind of go through it. Um, obviously, because one, I'm gonna talk about it, but two, I don't wanna talk about it unless it's something that's like working in here in my own life, because again, it's that I don't wanna, the last thing I wanna be is hypocritical. There's no point in doing this if I'm just gonna tell you or explain to you what I think is going on without actually really being challenged by it myself. And I think taking you on this journey, that's the purpose of doing this, like this. You know, even though I'm living in one place and we're doing this all over the world in different places, I think that's pretty cool. So as I journey along, as I stumble along, as I try and figure this thing out, being a Christian, a faithful follower, a person who's saved by Jesus on mission by his spirit ultimately is for the glory of God. And so that's what this is about. So let me set this up. A couple of things. One, if you're new here, welcome. Thank you for coming and being a part of what's going on. And really, I think um, what God is, I, I sense God is wanting to do globally in our personal lives, how we live that out individually and how it's gonna impact the world. And what I mean by that is, is living on mission. It says, I'm talking to Christians. So if you're a Christian, welcome. If you're not a Christian, please listen in, but know that I'm not challenging you to live life differently. You and I can have a whole different conversation about what that looks like because this is a conversation to Christians about what motivates us to live righteously and why we want to live right so that we can ultimately bring glory to our Heavenly Father, God. And, um, and there's a way to go about that. So this is, we're talking, we're Christians, we're, uh, or we're, we're people who are highly interested in what faith is, what it's about, have questions about it. Um, I do not believe faith is an internal thing and just about us on a personal level. I believe that faith is to lead us towards something and that's to partner with God here in this world to bring heaven here on earth. Um, and God's definition of heaven a lot of times is very different than ours and that's where this clashing happens at times and times we just forget or live in ignorance or, and it affects people around us negatively. So we're diving in to the thing that... Uh, the vessel that God has used to 
um, give us a sense of who he is outside of our intellect or our imagination. He gave us very re real truths through his Bible. And so we're studying through the book of Matthew, parts of it. Um, and today we're talking through Matthew chapter 5. So we're jumping into this. And again, back to what I was saying is that I have been, this week has been very interesting. So I'm going to pull out my notes and we're going to jump into what it is. So I'm going to pray first, even though this is weird timing, you could be my, hey, I just realized I'm posting these things online. The whole, I'm realized people, I could be talking to my grandkids right now or my great grandkids. Isn't that creepy? Like things that we do here could like long-term. So I'm going to say hi to my next generation or my generation's generation, generation. That would be amazing if you were listening. If you are, comment below. I'm just joking. <laughs> Father, you are a good God. And I do believe things that we do today can affect generationally. It can. Which scares me, but also excites me? Question mark? Exclamation point. Like, I'm, I don't... Lord, I submit this time to you. We've got brief time here on the... This video and this podcast to just kind of just talk. It's what you've been stirring in my heart this week. And if it inspires people to follow you and love you more, I, that's all I want from this. And so, Lord, I pray that my words would not be mine, but they would be a conviction that you've given me, motivated by love, and that we see change. I see change. My family, my kids see change. For your glory, God. Amen. Matthew chapter 5. Because I don't know where you're at in the world. I'm going to read. Everybody has, lots of people have Bibles. Some people don't. So this is an opportunity to, to, to read. And so I'm actually going to start off chapter 5 by reading the last part of chapter 4, verses 23 on. Okay, so if we remember, we talked last week about Jesus... Um, First being tempted and then going from the temptation to then walking, working out his ministry, which is birthed from the first week, chapter three, this identity um, being reminded of who he is in God. God saying, this is my son whom I'm well pleased, giving him the Holy Spirit and then walking out in mission. And Jesus not being distracted in mission by even his cousin getting arrested. He just goes and continues the work that his cousin did and goes and gathers some people around him to help him walk out this calling. Jesus says, as I live my life, follow me because I am going to make this thing happen. He goes and gets tempted, goes and gathers a bunch of his new best friends around. And we talked about their capabilities um, last week a bit. Um, and I think why God may have picked fishermen and, and other very capable, blue-collar, hard-working type kind of people. Because I believe, as Christians, there's work. And there's work to be done. And that God is going to redeem our work. Uh, and He wants us to partner with Him. And so we're going to talk more about that today. So, which leads us to now Jesus doing that work. And it starts off in verse 4, chapter 4, Matthew, starting in verse 23. says this, From there he went, meaning Jesus, there he went all over Galilee. He used synagogues for meeting places and taught people the truth of God. And I want to pause there for a moment because I want us to be reminded that even though we're online, meeting in homes, maybe listening to this in a coffee shop or on your run or driving in the car, is that there's an important nuance here that I, not nuance, there's an important statement here and a fact that Jesus began his ministry teaching in churches. 
the gathering places where people came to hear about God, good news about God, the workings of God, his religious rules and laws. And that's where Jesus started. And that's where Jesus continues to teach all throughout scripture. That's not the only place he teaches, but he uses that as a place because, and I'm learning this here, working where I'm working. Um, big capital, another country, it starts with a C. Um, that even here, and there's limited churches, there's limited gatherings, they're approved only by the state, that the little bit of partnership I'm having with local churches here um, that are approved by the state is that people who are not Christians go to the church building to find hope and help for their families, uh, advice on marriage, advice with parenting, like that's where they're coming. So I do know that Jesus, and there's a reason that there are these institutions called churches. I used to be a big fan of getting rid of them, but God's working something in my heart there. So he used synagogues for meeting places and taught people the truth of God. God's kingdom was his theme. That beginning right now, they were under God's government, a good government. He also healed people of their diseases and bad effects of their bad lives. Word got around the entire Roman province of Syria. People brought anybody with an ailment, whether mental, emotional, physical. Jesus healed them once and all. More and more people came, the momentum gathering. Besides those from Galilee, crowds came from the 10 towns across the lake, others up from Jerusalem, Judea, still others from across the Jordan. Chapter five, starting in verse one, when Jesus saw his ministry drawing huge crowds, he climbed a hillside. Those who were apprenticed to him, his disciples, the committed climbed with him, arriving at a quiet place, he sat down and taught his climbing companions. This is what he said. And so what he did is he began to preach and teach in places where people gather, knowing where they can find hope and restoration. And God, Jesus, okay, reestablishing the order of the church and helping people re-understand, okay, it's about kingdom. It's about the heaven coming down here on earth. And that God wanting to restore that and him bringing healing and hope to the people who are broken. He's bringing redemption, okay? He's bringing just wholeness to people's lives. And so he's doing it in a very practical way, using the facilities that God had already instituted properly. So instead of sucking, right? Sucking off the people and saying, gimme, gimme, gimme. They, he said, no, no, these institutions are to give, 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 give. Reestablishing the order of giving, giving generously, going out of our way, reaching to people where their needs are met without worrying about what receiving. And then when he begins his teaching, he's not teaching in those places, he is, I'm sorry. But when he gets into the nuances, he says, hey, those of you in this crowd that want to hear more, follow me because it's getting crowded in this room. And we're going to go and have a little bit of a trek, a little bit of a hard walk to go out so I can talk to more people. Come with me. And we're going to do this. So he then gathers people and moves them to another location. A little bit more difficult for him to get into some nuances. So this is where chapter 5 breaks in. This is where it gets hard for me. Because Jesus goes into very clear... And this is... Not... It's not just what is being said that is important. It's also the structure of how the message is being delivered. We have to remember, right? The book of Matthew is not chronological. The book of Matthew is theme-based. So here's one theme. Here's another theme. And here's another theme. And you're going to see that. So the Sermon on the Mount is not Jesus sitting and just preaching this one time. This happened over a period of time. This was Jesus... He, him collecting all these messages of these types of Sermon on the Mountains and putting it all in one place, the next few chapters, which is what we're going to see, because if you look at your Bible, it's literally all read for the next like three chapters. 
but it's a collection of these teachings that Jesus would teach, not only just teach, but that he lived. Do you remember? He was tempted by Satan himself, and Jesus said no, and he rejected him not only, he rejected him those three times, and set us up that we have the power to reject and say no to Satan, because Jesus used the same facets and abilities that we have, the Holy Spirit and our identity, who we are in God as God's son, but also as his servant, and knowing that we have the power of the Holy Spirit. Those two things working together, Jesus was able to say no, which we can too, by God's grace. We talked about that, I think. Leading into now the mission, the partnering. That's where Jesus is at. And if you notice, Jesus took along with him. He went and got other disciples to then go and do this work. I believe, and Jesus left, right, at the end of Matthew. You guys can go read this one. He's he leaving. He says, I will always be with you. I'm going to send you the Holy Spirit to do and continue this work. Just like John the Baptist, Jesus continued the work of John the Baptist. We, as his disciples, are to continue the work that Jesus started just the way Jesus did. And so these themes are important to see. It's not just what is being said, but the structure of how it's being said, right? Story... Okay, if you don't know anything about telling a story, you have the problem, you have the tension, and then you have the resolve. That's the three most basic principles of a story. Well, Matthew is setting us up here, okay, with this big picture idea, again, and I think Christendom, Christianity, needs to be based around this idea. Same one that we saw unfold in chapter 3. Identity, power, and how we then walk that out practicalities. I don't know how else to say it, but who are we as Christians? Second is the power that comes from that new identity as Christians, not only just the understanding and the knowledge of it, it affects our motivation, but then the power given to us by the Holy Spirit. So it's, it's both of those things. It's our mind and our heart, which then three how do we then walk that out every day? And so we look at this first chapter five. We're going to look at it from those three themes. First is our identity. That's the very first parts of this, right? When it goes on to what's called the Beatitudes. So if you look at this next section, this is dealing with our identity, period. There's no other ifs, ands, or buts about this. This is not a, okay, you're a Christian if you live this way. Okay, this is God reorienting, ugh, Jesus reordering, that's the best word, of what we think is righteous. So he's talking to a group of people here and going, you guys thought this was righteous, living like the Pharisees and the Sadducees. But remember when John the Baptist yelled at them, you brood of snakes, you vipers? It's this idea that the skin that they have on the outside is changeable, that because they think that they're sons of Abraham and because they think that they're righteous, that they're good enough. And Jesus is wanting to show it's not about just it does it's your entrance into the kingdom and bringing the kingdom of heaven here on the earth is not about doesn't start with <laughs> these actions it comes from a place of brokenness and surrender that even Jesus God himself said i am to be baptized he didn't need to be because he was perfect but he surrendered his will not my will, God, but yours. Not my will, Father, but yours. And this is where we are to come from. So this next section is all about our identity, right? So Jesus goes on. He says this, you're blessed when you're the end of your when you're at the end of your rope. With less of you, there is more of God and his rule. And so Jesus is reordering our understanding of the priorities, the function of faith, how it looks, how God views us. It's this, when we're broken, when we're at the end, right? There's the, 
goes on. You're blessed when you feel lost, when you've lost what is most dear to you. Only then can you be embraced by the one dearest to you. You're blessed when you're content with just who you are, no more, no less. That's the moment you find yourselves proud owners of everything that can't be bought. You're blessed when, you're, when you've worked up a good appetite for God, his food and drink in the best meal you'll ever eat. You're blessed when you care. At the moment of being careful, you find yourselves cared for. You're blessed when you get your inside world, your mind, your heart put right. Then you can see God in the outside world. You're blessed when you can show people how to com- cooperate instead of compete or fight. That's when you discover who you really are and your place in God's family. You're blessed when your commitment to God provokes persecution. The persecution drives you even deeper into God's kingdom. Not only that, count yourselves blessed Every time people put you down or throw you out or speak lies about you to discredit me. What it means is that the truth is too close for comfort and they are uncomfortable. You can be glad when that happens. Give cheer even for though they don't like it, I do. And all heaven applauds and know that you are in good company. My prophets and witnesses have always gotten into this kind of trouble. Now, in America, it's a lot less difficult to... I'm learning that... Persecution is very real. I haven't experienced directly persecution yet. <laughs> I think it's going to me happen. Um, I'm not looking for it, but I'm going to trust the Lord in what goes on. But I do know that persecution is very real in different countries, specifically the country I'm in right now, that if you're part of church gatherings and you have social media interactions that are Christian-based, or if you send your kids not to you homeschool your kids and send them to like a Christian type kind of school, all those types of things. Your score, your credit score here in China, which is basically your, your score, goes down. And you're persecuted in that, that you can't move, you can't go by, you, you're set. It's horrible. It's, but it's like that in lots of places in the world. And so what God is saying is that you're blessed. Hold on to the faith and trust that these places, right, you're... These aren't actions to strive for, that if you're, if you're in a place that you are blessed already, which is many of us, especially living in America, that we have the opportunity to share that blessing and live kingdom lives. It's not that we should give it all up and, 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 and flagellate, flagellate ourselves, like beat ourselves up. And yeah, well, it was me. It's that we embrace and go, God has blessed me. Now let me give away freely to those that are hurting. And those that are hurting, they are blessed. God is going to lift them up because this life, and we're going to learn this, is nothing compared to the next life. Our souls are so much more important than what happens now. Our, and this is, God has established this idea of like your identity in who we are in God is that we are so much more with him propping us up than us trying to prop ourselves up. That's basically what he's trying to get at. Which then leads to what's next. Which leads to the next couple of verses, 13 through, uh, I don't know, 16 or 18, somewhere in here. And it's about being salt and light. So it goes from our identity to our work. Our, our now, our work. And I believe this is such an important idea and concept because I look at it in creation, right? What, did, what was Adam's job? Adam's job was to work the garden. He was to name the animals, to work the garden, work alongside of God. And God didn't say work was going to happen. God said work is now cursed. It's going to be just, it's, it's, you're going to toil. But yet work is still going to happen. It has to happen. And this battle, right? Satan was already crushed, but then they gave in to Satan. So Satan's going to just keep nipping at our heel, right? The idea is that our heel is going to be bit 
but finally Jesus is going to crush Satan's head. That's the go back and read Genesis. This is, it's just continuation of that until Christ f- comes back. So Christ is, is come, is ascended, and he's coming back, right? So we're living in this world of tension. And so Satan still is just like Jesus, right? Not just like Jesus. Let me rephrase that. Just like Jesus went through with Satan and the temptations of nipping at him. And he had to go, nope, nope, nope. And by God's grace, we have the power to say no. We're partnering with him, Jesus, and bringing the kingdom of here onto earth. That's what it means to walk out in mission. And that is what he has given us the Holy Spirit to. It's not just saying no to sin, but it's saying yes to the kingdom. It's not just saying, no, I'm not going to do this thing. Let's check it off the list. That's what the Pharisees and Sadducees say. Jesus says, now look deeper into your heart. So it's this working it out. And it goes on and says this, let me tell you why you are here. You're here to be salt seasoning, right? Let me tell you why. You're to partner with me in this crusade of bringing heaven here on earth, of seeing the brokenhearted, of going back to verse four, chapter four, verses 23 through the end. That's what you're to do. And he gives this analogy of salt and light. Most of us know it. Go and read it. I encourage you to, but it's this idea that don't lose your saltiness. Be effective for the work, for the mission. Let it come out of the motivation of who you are, your identity as God's son and his servant, and as knowing that we are working with the same spirit that Jesus did, we have power. We do. And that it shouldn't be self-serving or self-motivating, which we're going to learn more about that in chapter 6. So, Which then, Jesus then deals with the third aspect, which is the rest of it, which is the hardest part. Jesus goes into, like, details. I mean, when I mean details, I mean deep details of our actions as Christians. And because... When we, the first thing we want to know, right, is, okay, so what do we do? Jesus already said it. Be salt and be light. And we need to follow his example. His example was going and helping the needy, the lost, the broken, the hurt, bringing restoration, bringing redemption. The word redemption, just remember that. Grace, kindness, forgiveness, like all of those things. That's what Christ was about, period. And now he's wanting to reframe people's thinkings of the Old Testament, right? He's going to go on and he's going to say, I'm going to read it to you, but I just want to set it up for you because I'm not going to talk about it after I read it. Maybe a little bit, but not very much. So I'm going to set it up. Jesus is wanting to go, I'm not, I didn't come here to abolish the law. I'm not getting rid of all the rules and regulations of the Old Testament. Like that is, it's, I want you to understand how much more important it is. Because it's not just about these outwardly actions like the Pharisees and Sadducees, the snakes that we read about two chapters ago. It's about operating from our identity and being willing to do whatever it takes. So he says, don't suppose, in verse 17, don't suppose for a minute that I, Jesus, have come to demolish the scriptures, either God's law or the prophets. I'm not here to demolish, but to complete. I'm going to put it all together. Put it all together in a vast panorama. God's law is more real and lasting than the stars in the sky and on the ground at your feet. Long after the stars burn out and the earth wears out, God's law will be alive and working. Because God's okay. Trivialize even the smallest item in God's law and you will only have trivialized yourself. But take it seriously. Show the way for others. And that's what's key. Is that we can't just say it. We have to do it. And that's the power of the Holy Spirit from our identity, who we are in God. We can do this. He goes on, and you will find honor in the kingdom. 
Unless you do far more than the Pharisees in the matters of right living, you won't know the first thing about entering the kingdom of God. And another version says that your life has to be more perfect than the Pharisees and the Sadducees to even enter the kingdom of heaven. Like literally he's saying, look, these guys did everything, their entire lives, they got paid to live right and they still aren't doing it. And they're still not welcome into the kingdom because in Isaiah 56, it says what? Our actions, not motivated by a changed heart of Christ and from the Holy Spirit, our actions outside of that, however quote unquote righteous we think they are, are like filthy rags. And the scripture in Isaiah 56, filthy rags is literally translated as used menstrual rags. Like that is that disgusting to God. Like you think you're going to bring that to me? I've done it for you already. I don't need you to do this. That's freaky. So now the theme of these next few verses, you're familiar with the command to the answers, right? So Jesus is going to set this up. Like you kind of have an idea of this, right? Do not kill. And he goes on to adultery and divorce. Um, let your yes be yes. Don't make promises. You know, don't make a covenant um, uh, about loving our enemies and how we actually love, like interact with one another. Jesus is going to set and reframe and he's going to take these ideas that are already very difficult, but make it even harder that we cannot reach without Christ. Period. And so I'm going to read these things. And what I want you to do after we're done is I want you to then process in your own hearts the convictions that God is speaking to you. Because it's going to be different than me. Birth from a place of who are you in the Lord. Do you understand that you are a son or his daughter? And do you understand that you have the Holy Spirit, same as Christ, to be able to say no to Satan, no to his, no to his, no to our flesh, our desires that the flesh wants to, that, right? We can, we can win the battle. And then take the time to break this down for yourself. So I'm going to read it and I'm going to go straight through it because it is so heavy and so gut-wrenching and so punching me in the face. <sighs> 21, Matthew chapter 5. You're familiar, you're familiar with the command to the ancients. Do not murder. I'm telling you that anyone who is so much as angry with a brother or sister is guilty of murder. Carelessly call a brother idiot and you might fall, find yourself hauled into court. Thoughtlessly yell, stupid! at his sister and you are on the brink of hellfire. The simple moral fact is that the words kill. This is how I want you to conduct yourselves in these matters. If you enter your place of worship and about to make an offering, you suddenly remember a grudge a friend has against you. Abandon your offering. Leave immediately. Go to this friend and make things right. And then and only then come back and work things out with God. Or say you're out on the street and an old enemy accosts you. Don't lose a minute. Make the first move. Make things right with him. After all, if you leave the first move to him, knowing his track record, you're likely to end up in court, maybe even jail. If that happens, you won't get out without a stiff fine. You know the next commandment pretty well, too. Don't go to bed with another spouse. But don't you think you're preserving your virtue simply by staying out of bed? Your heart can be corrupt by lust even quicker than your body. Those leering looks you think nobody notices, they are also corrupt. Let's not pretend this is easier than it really is. If you want to live a morally pure life, 
here's what you have to do. You have to blind your right eye the moment you catch you catch it in a lustful leer. You have to choose to live one-eyed or else be dumped on a moral trash pile. And then you have to chop off your right hand the moment you notice it raised threateningly. Better a bloody stump than your entire being discarded for good in the dump. Remember the scripture that it says, whoever divorces his wife, let him do it legally, giving her divorce papers and her legal rights. Too many of you are using this as a selfish cover for, I'm sorry, as a cover for selfishness and whim, pretending to be righteous just because you are quote unquote legal. Please no more pretending. If you divorce your wife, you're responsible for making her an adulteress, unless she has already made herself that by sexually, sexual promiscuity. And if you marry such a divorced adulteress, you're automatically an adulterer yourself. You can't use legal cover to mask moral failure. And don't say anything you don't mean. This council is embedded deep in our traditions. You only make things worse when you lay down a smokescreen of poised talk, saying, I'll pray for you, and never doing it, or saying, God be with you, and not meaning it. You don't make your words true by embellishing them with religious lace. And making your speech sound more religious, it becomes less true. Just let your yes and no. Just say yes and no. When you manipulate words to get your own way, you go wrong. Here's another old saying that deserves a second look. Eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth. Is that going to get us anywhere? Here's what I propose. Don't hit back at all. If someone strikes you, stand there and take it. If someone drags you into court and sues for the shirt off your back, gift wrap your best coat and make a present of it. And if someone takes unfair advantage of you, use the occasion to practice the servant life. No more tit-for-tat stuff. Live generously. You're familiar with the old written law, love your friend? It is unwritten, companion, hate your enemy. I'm challenging that. I'm telling you to love your enemies. Then let them bring out the best in you, not your worst. When someone gives you a hard time, respond with the energies of prayer, for then you are working out of your true selves, your God-created selves. This is what God does. He gives his best, the sun to warm and the rain to nourish to everyone, regardless, the good and the bad, the nice and the nasty. If all you do is love the lovable, do you expect a bonus? Anybody can do that. If you simply say hello to those who greet you, do you expect a medal? Any run-of-the-mill singer can do that. Sinner does that. In a word, what I'm saying is, grow up. Your kingdom subjects. Now, let's live like it. Live out your God-created identity. Live generously and graciously towards other the way God lives towards you. The first thing I want to do is begin to justify. Get on your knees. Let's take the time. Cry out to our God to grow up, to live generously, to live as kingdom servants. We are aliens and foreigners on this earth. God let me rephrase this, Jesus prioritizes very clearly our souls over our physical being to the point where he's literally saying, cut off your hand or your eye, or your words can affect, affect a soul which is greater than hurting just the body with murder. Like our physical ailments are nothing compared to what happens for eternity. We have to put things in perspective. We have to put things into perspective. Who is our enemy? It's not our neighbor. It's us. An enemy, which is Satan, who's roaring around like a lion that wants to devour us. God is for us. 
So take some time to really think about your identity and who you are in Christ. And is it motivating you not just to not quote unquote sin, but live on mission to partner with God and bring the kingdom of heaven here on earth? Because the standard by which Jesus is setting up, we can never measure up. But that's where God's grace, his transforming work on the cross does to us and can motivate us to things greater than we can even understand. A life worth living, a life worth living, a kingdom life. That's what I'm working towards. And it's in our everyday little steps, little interactions, killing self, killing self, killing self. I'm praying for you. I love you. See you guys next week.